Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to you, and welcome to the first ever Frozen Fanatics Hockey Podcast, a podcast for the hockey fan and by the hockey fan. Throughout my time in this podcast, I'll be covering a lot of topics, uh, whether it be the NHL, the Olympics, junior hockey, prospect coverage, or whatever you guys want to hear. Like I said, I'm for the fan, by the fan. Um, th- throughout my time here, uh, a couple a couple of sources that I like to use are Cap Friendly, um, which gives you salary cap tables for the present and future for every NHL team, as well as some as some cool features like uh, mock drafts and the Armchair GM, which lets you take over uh, your favorite team from your computer. Uh, it's really a great tool. I also use Hockey Reference for any um, metrics, any Corsi, Fenwick questions. Um, and as well as it gives a great profile on individual players and teams. Also, I'll, uh, we'll be using NHL.com for standings, points, um, and other stories uh, throughout my episodes. Um, like I said, we're going to cover a lot of topics. It's going to be a lot of fun, so uh, I hope you guys are ready to tune in. Um, just a little introduction to myself. My name's Chris Acton, and I'm a college student. I have a passion for the game of hockey. I'm currently pursuing a sport management degree um, studying business as well as independently studying analytics and I hope that one day um, these will help me work in an NHL front office because that is my uh, ultimate goal. Um, I, I created this podcast because personally I've experienced and I think a lot of people have experienced uh, you know asking questions wanting to know stuff whether you're tweeting at beat reporters or trying to ask questions and a lot of times you don't get your answer as a regular fan they don't have whether they don't have time they don't want to answer you Um, but a lot of times there's a disconnect uh, in the hockey world there's kind of two worlds there's the analytics world and then and then the rest of us so I I hope to to bridge the gap between those two uh, different worlds Um, like I said I'm really excited to do this Um, I hope this is a long-term thing It'll just keep getting better, uh, keep getting more exciting. So hopefully, hopefully whoever's listening has some input. Um, and, you know, we can really make this channel uh, do something. I figured I figured now is a f- good time to make my first podcast. It's it's All Star Weekend, so nobody's playing. It kind of gives me time to really ref- reflect on what's happened this season and kind of look forward at the rest of the season and the years coming up. Uh, it's a great spectacle down in Tampa Bay. Uh, the skills competition was great. Uh, Brock Besser bringing home the MVP of the All-Star Game. Uh, but really just just a great weekend. Uh, we'll kind of talk about some other things that happened this weekend uh, at the end of uh, this episode. So to start off, uh, I want to do a series called State of the Franchise. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to take five franchises. I'll dedicate uh, one episode to each. Five franchises that people have a lot of questions about that are kind of at a, a crossroads um, right now and have a lot of decisions to make. Uh, the first one will be Chicago today, uh, then we'll move on to Detroit and Montreal, and then the last two episodes uh, will be up to suggestions um, by you guys, whoever's listening. Um, and so, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, just without further ado, we will jump into it with the Chicago Blackhawks. Where to start? After 49 games, Chicago sits at 23-19-7 for a total of 53 points and dead last place in the Central Division. Um, 
not many would have predicted that coming into the season. Uh, a, a team that's only four points out of the playoffs. I mean, but the problem is you, you look at the team, teams ahead of them that they got to jump um, to get in. The first wild card spot, Dallas, is loaded with talent. They're starting to hit their stride. The second wild card right now is Colorado, who had a historically bad season last year. Um, I thought they would bounce back. Didn't think it would be quite this level. They've won 10 of their last 11 games and are looking very scary. And then um, there's a three-way tie at 57 points um, out of the playoffs. Los Angeles, who had a red-hot start to the season, and they're about due for another hot streak. Minnesota, also loaded with talent. Um, they're kind of underperforming. I think once Devin Dubnik gets kind of back to his, his normal self, uh, we'll see them kind of climb the standards a bit. And then Anaheim at 57 points. And when, when this team is completely healthy, I mean, they are – they're going to be phenomenal. I mean, there's no, they they have probably one of the top three, top two or three center cores in the NHL, especially when it comes to playoff time. Um, their center core is is built for a long playoff run. Got some good goal scorers. Got a good defense. And John Gibson's been um, as advertised. So, it's a long long road ahead um, for Chicago. I mean, they're right there. Like I said, four points out. Um, but you're gonna have to outplay at least four teams to really make a push at the end of the season. So it, it'll be interesting. Um, so it, kind of the timing of this, we're coming up on the trade deadline soon, and everyone's saying, you know, everyone everyone's panicking. And what, what does Chicago do? Do they, they buy, do they sell, or do they stay in pat? Um, I, I truly believe buying is completely out of the question. This, this is not a team that's going to compete for a Stanley Cup this year, um, no matter what you add at the trade deadline. I think... It's time to take a different approach. I know Stan Bowman is not known for um, being quiet at the trade deadline, but I think this is the year to do it. Um, standing pat, I mean, I, I think I think that's the way to go. Um, people that want them to sell, I mean, what, what does this team really have to sell? I think that's kind of where I'm coming from is your tradable assets are Artem Anisimov, Connor Murphy. I mean, you're not trading Kane, Taves, Keith. I don't think anybody's going to take the Brent Seabrook contract right now. And you're, you're not going to trade any of your young guys. Um, you're not trading Nick Schmaltz. You're not trading Vinny Henestrosa or any of those guys. So I think right now there could be a few moves made, so we'll see. But I think overall um, this team should kind of stay where it's at and just finish out the season, see if Corey Crawford gets healthy, see if you can make a run. If not... Uh, you know, we're, we're building for the future, and I think you'll kind of see that theme uh, throughout what's happened lately. So, a lot, a lot of the the blame has fallen on upper management, which I mean, in a way, is rightly deserved. We talk about the genius of Stan Bowman and Scotty Bowman, and like I said, that, I mean, that's rightfully deserved too. But the thing that's just puzzled me lately is the contracts that this team signs. Everywhere in the NHL, you hear about restricted free agents and unrestricted free agents having long, tense negotiations with management, sometimes going to arbitration, sometimes missing um, part of the season. And then, and then we look at Chicago lately, and players are 
pretty much just going into Stan Bowman's office and signing whatever he has on the table because the, what he's been offering, there's there doesn't even need to be negotiation, and players are getting exactly what they wanted or even more, which, I mean, it's it's good for players, and it's, it's you know, I mean, players, players like that, but is it really good for the long-term success of your team? I think the one that really strikes me is Richard Panic. Um, you know, he signed the two-year, $2.8 million deal last year, and in his interviews after he signed the contract, you hear him saying him saying things like, I was blown away by the first offer, and it, it was a no-brainer, and that I don't think that should be the case. Yes, you want to pay guys what they're worth, but you could have got him for a lot cheaper. I mean, he's 26 years old. He had a great season last year, but his track record shows that um, he's kind of an NHL tweener, and it just it just blows my mind. And then obviously you have the Brent Seabrook contract, a, th- a 30-year-old physical defenseman that's slowing down a little bit. You sign him to an eight-year, $55 million contract, uh, which has been completely detrimental um, to the present and future of this team. You know, if we'll see in a little bit, but I mean, if if Bowman signs some better contracts and, you know, makes one or two less mistakes, this is an absolutely ridiculously stacked team going forward, just like it was in 2010 and around 2013. Uh, and so I think a lot of the blame can fall on, you know, some of these contracts that were signed. Um, obviously, you have the Brian Bickle contract, the four by four million dollar deal uh, that cost the team Tavo Teravine, and then this one jumps off the page at you too. Um, his two seasons leading up to the contract were twenty four points in seventy one games and a minus three, and then twenty three points in forty eight games. I mean, yes, he had the big playoff run. I applaud that he helped them, obviously, win another cup. But a four-year, four million dollar deal, just I, I just I can't. You can't make sense of it. I mean, there's some deals that are questionable, and then there's some that are just. What were you thinking? Um, so it's been frustrating. Um, but hindsight's always twenty twenty. You know, you can't predict a Brian Bickle multiple sclerosis situation. He can't predict that kind of fallout, um, especially when he was, you know, he's 26, 27 years old when he signed the contract. So a lot of unpredictable things. I mean, that's sports, that's hockey. So I, I get that. Um, but at some point, we got to ask the question, um, why was some of this stuff done? Uh, and then I think kind of the last contract issue I have is Taves and Kane. And and they're not terrible. Kane is still a top five offensive player in this league. Taves still is you know, a top five, top ten Selkie candidate every year. You know, he he's on he scored fifty eight points each of the last two years. He's on pace for around the same. He plays the two hundred foot game, but at some point, I mean million for eight years. I mean, hometown discount. We talk about the word hometown discount all the time. Is that something that crossed Stan Bowman's mind? Is that something that crossed Kane and Tay's mind? I mean, Steven Stamkos is getting paid $8.5 million. I mean, are you telling me that you couldn't give Kane and Tay's matching 8 by 9 deals or 9.5? I mean, that saves you 
two to three million dollars right there, and two to three million dollars is Tavo Teravine, and maybe it's Andrew Shaw. I mean, you're just those simple, small shavings off of contracts um, could could cost you players or bring you back players. Um, so it, it is really puzzling for me. Um, the last one that irritated me was in 2015 after the Stanley Cup, trading Sod and Sharp away. Obviously, you got to shed some salary. Um, Sharp was making almost $6 million. We now know that Saad obviously signed the six by six million contract and he's back with Chicago. When you trade Sharp, at at that point in his career, you still could get picks or at least um, a prospect or two. You maybe not a grade A prospect, but you can get a a prospect back. Um, but instead, we get Ryan Garbutt and Trevor Daly taking up over four million dollars in cap space. And then you waive Garbit and trade uh, Trevor Daly um, for pretty much nothing. And then you trade Rob Scuderi for Christian Erhoff and retain salary. And it, it's just a compounding mess. Um, you know, if you trade Sharp away as a pure salary dump, then you sign Saad to his 6 by 6 deal. And then you still sign Panarin. And then this team looks completely different. I mean, we'll kind of look at one of my uh, armchair GMs that I did called If Stan Bowman Was Perfect. Uh, it's obviously a hindsight thing looking at what if Stan Bowman didn't make some of these bad trades or bad signings. Um, you know. So it's interesting to see. And this is based on the 2018-2019 year. So next year, um, the salary cap could go up to $82 million. Uh, I set it at $80 million for this simulation, um, but I just kind of want to take you through uh, the deals I did. Uh, so first off for next year, uh, signing RFAs, Philip Deneau, Anthony Duclair, John Hayden, Vinny Henestrosa, and Trevor Van Riemsdyk. Again, this is hypothetical looking back, so we're saying if Trevor Van Riemsdyk and Philip Deneau were still here. Uh, the Philip Deneau trade just... oh. It just it makes me cringe. He could be one of the best uh, third, fourth line centers, two way centers. He can put up points. He can play defense. He's he's a younger, improved version of Marcus Kruger. And you trade him away for Dale Weiss and Thomas Fleischman, who Joel Quenville healthy scratches eighty percent of their time with the Blackhawks. You would think with as much pull as Quenville has with upper management that they wouldn't make a trade for guys that aren't even going to play for Quenville. I mean, looking, you know, at the time, Philip Deneau is, is just a fourth-line center, and you have Marcus Kruger. Now you look at it, and you don't have Marcus Kruger, and Philip Deneau looks like a darn good third-line center that can put up 30, 35 points and be a plus player, uh, you know, start in the defensive zone. Uh, so I think, I think that one really hurts the most out of the trades. Um, also... I have Brent Seabrook signing an eight-year by $5 million contract uh, rather than an eight-year by $6.875 million contract. Uh, as far as UFAs, I have them signing Jan Ruta and Christopher Stieg. And then for the perfect world situation, I looked at that second line um, and what they could use. Because in this situation, they don't have Artem Temenisimov because they never traded Saad. So 
I looked at the free agents and thought who would be the perfect second line center uh, between Kane and Panarin, and I, I think Joe Thornton, uh, it will be an unrestricted free agent next year, a one year, six million dollar deal. Um, really could put this team over the top. So if we go down to the lineup after those moves, um, I have the first line being Brandon Saad, Jonathan Taves, and Alex DeBrinkett. Second line, Artemi Panarin, Joe Thornton, and Patrick Kane. Third line, Nick Schmaltz, Tavo Teravainen, Anthony Duclair. Fourth line, Chris Versteeg, Philip Deneau, and John Hayden with Vinny Henestrosa as the 13th forward. I mean, this, this team is ridiculous. This team, uh, th- this is the team we envision being Stanley Cup contenders until 2020, um, you know, uh, extending that window. Uh, maybe winning four or five cups instead of three. Uh, and then on defense, I have Duncan Keith and Jan Ruda, uh, Nick Letty and Connor Murphy on the second pairing, and then Gustav Forsling and Brent Seabrook on the third pairing, Trevor Van Riemsdyk as the seventh defenseman. And again, the Nick Letty thing is hypothetical. Um, I think looking looking back, they definitely there definitely could have been cap space cleared um, in a better way than trading Nick Letty for Vili Polka. I know um, Quenville kind of had Letty in the doghouse, but he is a legitimate good uh, top four defenseman. And then onto the goalies, Corey Crawford and Anton Forsberg. Uh, this team has a cap hit of about $79.5 million, uh, so they're under the salary cap. And like I said, I think this team would absolutely, would absolutely dominate um, in the NHL, and I think they could be contenders for years to come. Uh, you know, with with a team like that, but obviously, like I said, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, you can't go back now that you know, um, you know what you know. But I do think Stan Bowman is going in the right direction now. I think one of the worst things you can do as a general manager is not know when to rebuild. I think we see it a lot in other sports and with other hockey teams. You know. They're at the point where they need to rebuild, and they'll kind of admit to that, but then they'll make signings or trades to like push for winning now and push for the playoffs now, um, and and then you throw it all off, and you you know you delay your rebuild, you make it longer and more painful, and it's it's just not good for anybody. Um, so, you know, Chicago was the oldest team in the NHL last year. Uh, the average age was almost twenty nine years old, um, and sitting today. Their average age is just over 26, and they have 12 players under the age of 25 on the NHL roster right now. So the youth movement is here. Um, Kane is still in his prime. He's going to be a dominant player for another three to five years. Taves, although overpaid, is is still producing in a good way. He's you know he's still responsible. He's still putting up around 60 points. Um, Saad is going to have a better year next year. Saad's going to bounce back. He's a young guy. Um, you know, Duncan Keith, yes, he's another year older. Seabrook's another year older. And that is what it is what it is. Um, but I do think they're headed in the right direction. If you know, This is a deep draft this year. So if this team misses the playoffs like I think they probably will, there's a chance you have an immediately, immediately impactful player um, as a first-round pick. Uh, maybe a right-handed defenseman. I think this team could use a right-handed defenseman or uh, one more winger. I think 
I think those two things are the biggest um, pieces. Um, and we'll kind of see that reflected in my other arm chair GM, <clears throat> which looks at next year um, in a perfect world, if everything goes right for Chicago, what this team could look like next year. Um, so I have Chicago, like I said, this is, this is if everything goes right. So I have them winning the lottery, um, winning the Rasmus Dahlin sweepstakes. What prayer do I have to say to make that happen? Please tell me. Um, cause that would be the most phenomenal thing ever. And I know everyone around the league, uh, would be screaming conspiracy theories if the Blackhawks got the number one pick. Uh, but as far as UFAs are concerned this year, uh, I have Jan Ruda again being re-signed. Ian Cole to a four-year, $3 million a year deal. Uh, like I said, this team needs at least a defenseman and a top six, top nine of the worst winger. Um, so I have him signing Evander Kane to a six-by-six six deal. Michael Kempney. And then as far as RFAs are concerned, I have Vinny Henestrosa, John Hayden, Ryan Hartman, Eric Gustafson, Eric, uh, Anthony Duclair. Uh, and then I have created Dylan Secura and Rasmus Dahlin. Dylan Secura is a phenomenal story. A late bloomer that's currently finishing his senior year at Northeastern. This kid's going to be... Uh, I think he's going to be a stud, but I think he's a second, third line, legitimate center um, within the next three to four years, easily. A lot of speed, a lot of skill. So it'll be it'll be exciting to watch. The biggest thing on this team is getting rid of the Seabrook contract. Um, Stan Bowman needs to pull out all the stops, in my opinion, this summer to get rid of Seabrook's contract. Uh, you know, whatever that may be. It it could be similar to the Bickle situation where you got to give up. Uh, a big time draft pick or a player you don't want to but Seabrook right now is is a real detriment to this team with not only with his contract but with his play I mean he's slowed down he's not the offensive player he once was I mean there's just not any upside left so the two teams I thought uh, that he could fit would be Florida or Arizona um, I don't think Arizona takes another bad contract like they have in the past. So I have Chicago trading Brent Seabrook, uh, 2019 or 2020 first-round pick, and the opposite third-round pick to Florida um, for either a third and fifth-round pick or a fourth and fifth-round pick. Again, just a pure salary dump, throw in you know a first-round pick. Maybe you got to throw in a decent prospect too, but I mean, at this point, you got to pull out all the stops. Um, my other move is trading Artem Anisimov. Um, he can play, he can put up points, but he, he's not a skater, and he's 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 a net front guy, which is great. Every team needs that, uh, but the game is moving so much towards speed and skill, and that's just that's not Anisimov's game. He's he's a guy that deflects pucks in front of the net and picks up rebounds and scores. Um, he plays in the dirty areas, which, like I said, every team needs. But um, I. Th I think he's expendable. Um, so the two places I can see him going are either Pittsburgh at the trade deadline this year or Montreal in the offseason. Um, since Benino left, I think Pittsburgh really needs a legitimate um, you know, third-line center. Uh, and Artem Anisimov is a second or third-line center. Um, he's not strictly a third or fourth-line center. Uh, so I think that could work. Um, 
possibly to trade for Ian Cole, but I'd rather them just sign Ian Cole in the offseason if he doesn't sign an extension in Pittsburgh. So my trade for Nisimov is to Montreal with a fourth-round pick for Alex Galchenyuk in the sixth-round pick. And before, everyone says, oh, Alex Galchenyuk's younger, he's better, blah, blah, blah. Bergevin is at the end of his leash. He He's in trouble with um, with his bosses. And Alex Galchenyuk has fallen out of favor. He's he's a good player. He's a skilled player, but he just hasn't fit in Montreal. So there, I think he does get moved. And you have to sell low on him because th there's no there's no real market for him. Um, so I, I think Anisimov and a mid pick could get Galchenyuk and a late pick. The only, um, I think there could be a little bit of a bidding war, so it could get driven up a little bit. But again, I think the price for Galchenyuk is low right now, and I think Montreal badly needs centers, especially if they're not going to play Duran or Galchenyuk at center. They badly need, you know, top six, middle six centers. Um, and I think Anisimov can be that for them. And he can play with... I mean, he's you've seen how well he plays with Patrick Kane um, and Artemi Panarin. And he could be... He could form a similar dynamic, um, you know, with a guy like Jonathan Drouin, uh, maybe Brennan Gallagher, Max Pacioretty on the other wing. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I think he can get moved. Um, so my lineup with this team is Saad, Taves, Galchenyuk, uh, Evander Kane, Nick Schmaltz, Patrick Kane on the second line, Alex Dabrinkit, Dylan Secura, Anthony Duclair on the third line, Ryan Hartman, John Hayden, Vinny Hinnestros on the fourth line with Alexander Fortan and David Kampf as the extra forwards. Fortan is a dark horse. Uh, he came in two years ago undrafted, had a great camp, uh, a lot of speed, a lot of skill. He's just battled some injuries. Uh, so, you know, we'll see, you know, what he can do moving forward. Um, as far as the defense, I have Duncan Keith and Rasmus Dahlin on the first pairing, Ian Cole and Connor Murphy on the second pairing, Gustav Forsling, Jan Ruda on the third pairing, and Michael Kempney as the extra defenseman. Um, is it a great defense? No. Is it better than what we're looking at right now and cheaper? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's that's the goal is, you know, making room so this team can grow. And, um, you know, this has... I say Chicago needs to rebuild, but this could be one of the quickest and least painful painful rebuilds uh, you'll ever see. Uh, this team has a cap hit of less than seventy-two million dollars, which would leave them with around eight to ten million dollars in cap space potentially. Uh, so, I mean, the sky would be the limit for this team and what Stan Bowman could do uh, with all that extra money. So, I mean, it, it's exciting to look forward and see. You know what this team could be capable of with all the young guys growing uh, you know we talk about Chicago not being good this year um, I think they're a few bounces away from being really good and a few bounces away from being really bad uh, and that's the thing they're just kind of sitting there right in the middle and we don't know what's gonna happen uh, with the 12 players under 25 you know if half of them three-quarters of them make remarkable improvements in the summer I mean this could be a contending team. Alex Dabrinkit has been phenomenal, and he just turned 20. He's only going to get better. Um, Don Secura adds a lot of speed to this team. Anthony Duclair is going to hit his stride, I think. Vinny Henestrosa has looked um, extremely good. Uh, so, you know, like I said, it, it's going to be really exciting to see what these young guys can do moving forward, and Kane's going to be dominant still. Taves will be what Taves is. Um, he'll be a solid first-line center, and he'll be the leader of this team. 
Um, so I think moving forward, Stan Bowman is going in the right direction. And I think, you know, regardless of the bad decisions he's made the past couple years, um, I, I really think he's starting to make some good decisions for the future of this team. Uh, I think the Stanley Cup window is closed for two or three years. I think after two or three years uh, with these young players maturing, and I think that's when Kane will be kind of starting to wind down um, his elite days, we'll say. I think that's, you know, the the window opens again for them around 2020 through 2023. I think they, you know, c can contend. Um, so we'll, we'll see where the NHL is at that point and what this team does. Um, but it'll be, it'll be fun. Um, I don't think this team makes the playoffs this year. So I think they will be in the lottery and we'll see what kind of pick they get. Um, but, you know, it'll be it'll be good moving forward and you know right now a lot of people are trying trying to place the blame for this team um there's a lot of a lot of angry fans and, and rightfully so i mean we've been spoiled the last five six seven eight nine years uh you know a lot of great hockey a lot of great players uh, and it's frustrating when you see you know this kind of result when you know that they're capable of much better. Um, so, I mean, is the problem management? We've seen, you know, bad trades, bad contracts, um, but that alone doesn't seek a team, sink a team. You know, is it, is it coaching? Um, has, you know, we always talk about how Joel Quenville has such a great pulse for his team. Has he kind of lost that touch? Have the players lost interest in what he's saying? You know, I know for anything, it's hard to hear the same voice over and over again for a long period of time. So is... Are, are the players starting to tune them out? I mean, as much leadership and as much as we don't think that's possible with this group, I mean, there's always a chance of something like that happening. Um, a lot of people have been calling for a coaching change. I don't think you do that unless you already have his, um, the, you know, your next coach lined up, which I don't think they have right now. Uh, so I, I don't think that's warranted because he's still one of the best coaches in the game. Um, you know, and then is it personnel? I mean, like I said, Jonathan Taves is underperforming. Brent Seabrook has been nowhere to be found. Duncan Keith has not scored a goal since March of 2017. Brandon Saad has not put up the points that they brought him back to put up. A lot of players are underperforming. Uh, like I said, Patrick Kane, Nick Schmaltz, Alex, De Alex Debrinkit are the only players living up to what they should be doing this year. So any, any one of those problems, I think this team can overcome. I think the problem is... All three have kind of finally hit this team. The bad contracts have caught up. You know, some questionable coaching decisions have been made. And the core is not performing the way it has in the past. So when these three issues come together at one time, I mean, it's hard for a team to win. Um, this team's still right in the playoff hunt, but... It, it, it's just hard it's hard to sustain in sports today in the salary cap era um and you know we're seeing the product of that right now so this team's gonna have to adapt uh retool um and you know we'll see what they can do moving forward like i said i think uh the future is not a problem for this team the present is where the problem is um, and just deciding what to do uh where to go um but kind of went over my time limit so we'll kind of wrap it up real quick here i want to keep my episodes between 20 and 30 minutes 
obviously this first one's going to be a little longer. Um, you know, this is a one-take episode, no editing, no nothing, so um, it is what it is. But I just want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it, got something out of it, and stay tuned for the future. Uh, first time at this, so, you know, it's it'll get better as we get, as I get more, uh, more content, more software, um, just, just more tools to make this, um, the best that I can possibly make it, but I'm really excited moving forward, uh, there's nothing I love more than analyzing and talking about hockey, uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited, uh, excited for the future, and hopefully this can become a regular thing, uh, an everyday thing, uh, and hopefully you guys enjoy and follow it, um, but, uh, stay tuned for more episodes. Next time we'll be talking about um, the Detroit Red Wings and might even get into some Gary Bettman talk. I know hockey fans, we love to talk about uh, Gary Bettman and some comments he made at the All-Star uh, weekend in Tampa a couple days ago are kind of puzzling. Um, so you know, hopefully we'll get to address that in the next episode. Uh, but for now, thanks for listening again. Uh, stay tuned for more content.